0: We're continuing our, our study in uh, life of David, and today we have another turn. And then in light of, uh, we're basically going through this exposition of 1 Samuel. uh in light of timeline, we're almost at the end of 1 Samuel, which means the death of King Saul and his sons, which will be coming up in uh, in two three weeks of next messages. Uh, probably in in coming July, we might take a short break from the First Samuel uh, after we finish the First Samuel uh, to a possibly a Mary series this God God has been placing some thoughts and promptings on my heart. But today, we are ta- tackling two, two whole chapters, 27, and the two verses from 28 as well, and 29. Uh, the title of the message is Living in Limbo at Ziklag. I'm anxious to get to the passage right away. It is a long passage as well. But I think we need a little bit of an introduction, of overview, so that once again we know what to look for as we're listening and reading the scripture together. First of all, it is an intentional it is intentional that the storyteller, the author of 1 Samuel simply tells us what David does without telling what he does is right or wrong. There is a purpose for that. Number two, it is a story about David living in spiritual limbo, forgetting God and relying on self-resourcefulness before we quick to judge David about this the seriousness of David's trials and desperate situations, circumstances not even close to our trials at least no one is constantly for 10 plus years chasing after us to kill us so there, there's a sympathy there but at the same time the man who was called by God himself that he's a man after my own heart actually does this. It's a reality. David, David's life is portrayed without superheroism that we often see. The Bible is honest, in other words. And even the fact that the, all the brokenness and messiness is spelled out as it is without either uh justification of David's acting or excuses of for David's acting and including the pa- passage before the Nabal and and Abigail passage David marries two wives that, that's uh polygamy against God's desire and design God is not con- condoning it and uh Bible once again Uh, Spells it out It's a real story. Thirdly, it is yet a lesson, not just a story, but a lesson about God working out His sovereign purposes even when we get ourselves in trouble by compromising with the world. I think the key thing is that even when not we are persecuted by others, not we are Troubled by sufferings, un, unpreventable sufferings, but maybe the times that we are even choosing to live in limbo, God continually works toward his sovereign purposes. So in, in light of all this, and this is what we need to remember, this story is not a moralistic lessons. It is therefore important for us to pay attention to what God is doing beneath the surface of the story about David and Ziklag. So let's begin with the covering the story first, rather quickly. I don't want to spend much time in the three lessons that we can draw beneath the surface of the story. Starting with verse 1 of chapter seven. 27. And David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over. He And the 600 men who were with him. They had families also too. Wives and children. And some of the Saul's soldiers actually joined them. So there are a lot of commentators thinking probably more than 1,000 people altogether. Verse 2. So David arose and went over, he and his 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Melch king of Gath and David lived with Achish at Gath he and his men every man with his household and David with his two wives Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel Nabal's widow and when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath no longer he no longer sought him Then David said to Achish, if I found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of these country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the loyal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day and the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was an year and four months. This isn't the first time David went to Gath. In chapter 21, right after visiting high priest Ahimelech and getting help, some bread and the sword of Goliath, that he came Gath. And that was a different story. Back then, Philistines were startled that David came. Isn't he the person who killed our champion, Goliath? And then the, the woman of Israel shouting, The Saul has struck down thousands, but David, ten thousands. So out of desperation, he was all alone by the way. He acted like a crazy man, drooled on his beard and all acting all weird and achish basically. What useless this guy is. Why do you why do you put him in my front and get him out of here? But this time situation has turned around, turned around. Favor is on David, why? Everybody knew by this time Saul became enemy and he was pursuing and and seeking to kill David. And David has 600 men, well-trained, courageous men. Achish thinking oh he could be a very helpful Tool for me. So, so since he became enemy to Saul and Israel, maybe he could be my man. And David's being smart, street smart, his resourcefulness seemed to work so far, right? And he even got a little town, and town far away enough from Gath. That he wasn't found out what he was really doing. But he began to live in limbo. And lo- living a double life. By the way, Philistines are composed of five major lords. Or five major cities. These, each cities, major cities has a lord. Their lord. And same as Achish. So king of Gath and king of other cities, all combined the, the Philistines. When they go, go to war against other countries, they will all come together. But David got stuck there. A year and four months. It's not a short time. And I could tell you from my own experience, when I lived in a limbo, if I didn't get out of that limbo, I think 10 years could have passed by just like that. Because here we are at Crossway. We felt like a, we planted this church yesterday. We're nine years, this coming uh, 2018, January, it will be 10th anniversary. Can you believe that? The point is, when we are stuck in the limbo, time flies by, we are stuck there. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Once again, David has shown so many good examples of faith and courage. But what went wrong here? David is analytically correct. His assessment was correct. Well, I gave, I forgave uh, King Saul from trying to kill me and I would I had a perfect chance in front of me. I could have killed him twice. I spared his life. One in Angeti and the other in Hakila. And he's saying, I am not still convinced that he will stop, in spite of his regretful words. I know he's gonna come after me. One of these days He's going to kill me. So what better way? If I go to Philistines, Saul's army cannot chase after me there. But there are my enemies. But I have my men, maybe with my skillful way of convincing, being resourceful, Maybe I could make my haven there, temporary haven there. And it worked so far, right? One simple compromise doesn't seem harmful. But the question behind the whole thing is, the question is, what's missing in his good analysis and resourcefulness? The management uh, will actually... Good job. You didn't give up. You have kept your head up. What's missing? God is missing. Of course, you're doomed to Saul's army chasing after, relentless chasing. They will not stop. But don't you remember Saul has try to kill David so many times. David, the Lord protected you. The Lord delivered you from our enemy's hands. Yes, let's be sympathetic. When we are in desperate situation, something goes, the, the rationality of keeping God in our perspective doesn't seem, un, doesn't seem realistic. So being real, God was not in the equation. Another thing is, remember, even uh, saving the city of K- Kaila, he would ask, bring the effort to the, to the high priest, and then the way that uh, divine guidance, and asking God's guidance, was always a common practice that David had. But this time on, he doesn't even ask for guidance. Maybe the repressed thought was already there. Because I don't want to think about God because it's not realistic. I don't want to even seek God's guidance. He just went over. There is no questions like, should I go over? to the Philistines for my safety. So the sixteen month of limbo at Ziklag doesn't stop there. The second part, I would title the Compromise at Ziklag. How it snowballed. In verse 8 of chapter 27. Now David and his men went up and made raids against Jeshurites and Gerzites and the Amalekites, for, those, for these were the inhabitants of the land of the old, as far as the shore to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the carmel, camels, and the garments. And came, come back to Achish. When Achish asked. Where have you made a raid today? David would say. Against the Negev of Judah. Or against Negev of the Jer- Jeremiahites. Or against the Negev of Kenites. Oh. Gets ugly now. Verse 11. Then David would leave neither man nor men alive to bring news to Gath, thinking lest they should tell about us. Say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people, Israel. Therefore he shall always be my servant. You see, his being street smart one time was effective, but he's begun to have a chain effect. There needs to be subsequent compromise to convince Akish he had to lie. To make a living, he would raid against neighbor ethnic groups and then I think there's some rationalization was there in the book of Torah the Pentateuch God's command to the Israelites as they were given the land of Canaan as a promised land the command was wipe out all the Canaanites which are those, those ethnic groups especially Amalekites were enemy, titled as enemy of God. Because of what they did when Israelites was coming out of Egypt. So he might be thinking, this is holy war. If it was really holy war, wiping out God, bringing God's judgment on them and wiping, wiping them out so that the Hebrews would not be contaminated by all these idols, idolatries and pract- evil practice animal sacrifice the children's sacrifices but if he were so really acting on God's command and judgment because they were enemies of God he would he should have wiped out everyone. The donkeys and sheep and oxen. But he basically did this, raids for practical living. On top of that, the reason why he wiped out even women and children was to hush them, to, to leave no evidence of duplicity the Achis might not so that Achish might not find out. He became a butcher. Brutal. Mercenary. Killing innocent people. Rationalizing. Of course, he had thousand plus people to feed. A lot of people to feed. I think on another rationalization. As long as I do not attack Hebrews, my own people, the Israelites. And then Akish thinking that I am attacking, raid, making raids all these southern Judah. It's okay. Notice on, on another one is A, as David's desperate circumstances blurred David's spiritual vision, his spiritual life became numb and desolate. David wrote so many psalms in, in times of trouble. Remember, even in the cave of Adullam, he wrote several, two, three psalms there. But in 16 months of living in limbo as Ziklag, zero. No psalms were written. If you have a journal, and I have a journal, it's is my own psalm, right? We are also guilty of that. When I finally get to the restoration of my life and seeking God again, a lot of times it's because of crisis, many and big crises. And I looked through my old journal. The last entry was several months. Which is an indicator that I really didn't look for connecting with God, with my heart-to-heart connection. That's a limbo time. Third, Section is a trap at Ziklag. How David got himself in a trap. Now uh, we're going into chapter 28, first two verses, and then story turns into another one. So we're going to pick that up in probably two weeks. And chapter 29 has a, a closure of this story. So 28 verse 1 verse. In those days the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said, said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. Can you just picture this? You can't even breathe. But David is a good actor here. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I'll make you my bodyguard for life. And chapter 29 is the follow-up story. And now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Apec. And the Israelites were... encamped by the spring that is in Zezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said, said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. So his smart plan eventually backfired on him. Now he's in trouble. So far he was able to escape narrow. Dangerous road. He seemed to be so smart. Now, Trap was set because of his own fault. If he goes to war against Israel, he has two choices. Either Option number one, act like he is really for Achish and the Philistines and literally kill the Israel people, the people of Israel. That would be called a treason against his own people. Then he was anointed to be king, but he is no longer qualified. unthinkable thing for David as well because in his deep, in his heart he hasn't sold out himself. He just compromised a little bit. Option number two is turn around and kill the commanders of Philistines and voila become war hero, national hero again. What will that do King Saul, who has been so jealous of David's success. It will keep him all the more, like putting fuel, gasoline to his fire of jealousy, and he's going to get impassioned to kill him even more. And I'm thinking, as a third person, outside of the picture of the, the story, It's so easy to ask, whatever happened to you, David, who had no fear against Goliath, nine feet Goliath? This is usually what happens to us when we live in limbo. When we are living in perpetual compromise, Still rationalizing we haven't sold out our soul to the evil one, to the world. There is an intervention at Ziklag, but unlikely intervention, how David got out of the trap. Verse 4 of chapter 29 and to the rest of the chapter. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him, angry with Achish. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. Or how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be... With the heads of the men here, is it, is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then is called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest, and to me it seems right. That you should go you should march out and march out and in with me in the campaign for I have found nothing wrong within you from the day of your coming to me to this day. nevertheless, the Lords do not approve of you so go back now and go peacefully, peaceably that you may not. Displeased the lords of the Philistines. Can you imagine the reaction David, when David heard? <sighs> what a relief. But David is still in the self-reliance mode. His acting skill is even hiked up. He didn't even have to say this, but Listen to David, verse, verse 8. And the David say to, said to Achish, But what, what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered, entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as the angel of God. By the way, in this whole chapter, there is no mentioning of the Lord and God. The only person who mentions, notice that capital L-O capital R-D, all that, meant not just God or typical G-O-D but Yahweh the name of Israel God and then here he mentions even your blameless in my sight and as an angel of God First 10 now then rise early in the morning with the servant of your Lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you, you have light So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Zezreel for war. Isn't it ironical to think that the deliverance for David has come not from his own Israel people of Israel, but his enemies, the Philistines. They rescued David from his dilemma. Once again, the beneath the surface of the story is actually God who came and intervened and protected. So in the whole story that the name of God is not mentioned by David, Yahweh the Lord is only mentioned by his enemy. At the center of the story, God was at work. I draw three lessons, which are very important lessons for us. Lesson number one an erroneous step of compromise leads us to increasingly more compromises with the world, resulting in living in limbo. Proverbs four fourteen says, "Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil." Notice that it's not just never. Do not do all evil, but walk into enter into the path and the way. Is a way of life. Compromise does never end on one compromise. In Jesus, in Matthew sixteen six said, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. What does he mean by that? Leaven is east. Subtle, invisible at the beginning, but it's pervasively spreading everywhere and multiplies the impact. Their subtle sins like a hypocrisy. It was like that. Duplicity was like that. And a compromise also. It's like a leaven. One lie, one aspect of duplicity becomes like a leaven. The way out from the limbo life Let's bring back God. Not after we clean up everything, but amidst our mess- messiness and brokenness. And this is hard for us to do. Because usually, when we are living in limbo, I see usually three things. One, well, number one, somebody's in the intervention loving person confront and rocks the boat, you cannot do that. And like the people who are going through denial and alcoholism or chemical dependence, dependence that some other friends, loving friends and family need to confront. But In the same way, when we are living in compromise, somebody, our brothers and sisters in our men's group, women's group, needs to step in. Sometimes that's the only way. Second is crisis. Actually, David will have a crisis. This is nothing compared to the crisis that he will experience in chapter, 20, chapter 30, which will be next Sunday. When crisis at bottom falls apart, and all of a sudden God is, isn't outside the picture anymore because when you don't have any option. And third and last one is a faith, courage. Courage which is rare, we cannot do it alone. But the way the whole thing happens is God has to be put back into the picture as a center of the picture. We can't do it alone, so that's why we need community and prayer for breakthrough. Number two lesson, God is at work in those who belong to him even when we compromise and get ourselves in serious troubles. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 and 5 says this, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God. Into the steadfastness of Christ. When you need to think about this. Um, oh, this was really powerful for me. So we think that sometimes uh, the trouble that I'm in is the limbo that I'm in is because of my poor choices. So even if I look to God, God's not going to hear me. Uh, And if I talk to my brothers, men's group, or if I talk to my sisters, they're going to, quote, unquote, speak to truth and things that I don't want to do. I'm not ready. So woe is me. There's nothing I can do. (coughs) Do you know that that's the most opportune time that when we deserve nothing, when we married nothing, when we are sitting in messiness and brokenness, and that's the time that we need to turn to God's grace, unmerited favor, that he is merciful toward those who are in helpless state, broken, contrite heart, that he will not despise. Bruised weed, he will not break. From pastor's point of view, this is my confession. Why was this study powerful to me? Because a lot of my stress, frankly, comes from my frustration that our church is not changing fast enough. Same old marriage problems, same old spiritual destitute and dryness, laziness, apathy happens left and right and I'm going oh and then my own problem problem with my anger with sin against my son's insensitivity to to Cain and I feel like a hypocrite I can't preach anymore that cycle goes on and on But if we see beneath the surface of what's going on, God is not frustrated. God is at work. He actually has full of mercy. Past few weeks, I've seen conflicts here and there. Conflicts that is divisive is most detrimental to my stress. I needed this passage. I could have said, Lord, it's not me holding our church together. It is you. You are not frustrated. You are not stressed like me. So think about this. First way out. First thing to do when we are in messiness when you are living in limbo, when we are in self-inflicted trouble, is not due. You've got to do this more. Read the Bible more. Pray more. Or have a consistent quiet time. You need to serve. You need to go on a mission. You need to do X, Y, and Z. No. Believe it or not. The word is Believe, trust, and sovereign work for you amidst of your brokenness. If we really believe, not just mentally, with all our heart, it will change our being, the way we perceive things, wouldn't it? which leads to our third and last lesson. God accomplishes sovereign purposes for our calling, delivering us not only from our adversaries, but also from ourselves. So when it comes to these lessons, other passage, other aspect of sermon also too. It takes minutes, long minutes, sometimes hours to come up with one sentence like this. Because I want to say it succinctly, clearly. So let me say that again. God accomplished his sovereign purposes for our calling, delivering us not only from our, our adversaries, but also from ourselves. Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end, of, end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, the Lord saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. God's sovereign purpose can never be thwarted. Even by us. That's what sovereignty looks like. And that our sovereign God is not just a powerful God. He is merciful God, loving God. Beyond we can imagine. That's why when God grace appears, our response is not an analysis. It's an embracing of God's grace as a poor, unmerited person, a beggar, receiving free gift. so in our generation without continually intentionally going back to scripture we come to the culture which is very man centered so even the understanding of these words are twisted whenever you hear the word your calling you think about what some kind of a job to do some kind of a mission that I become special and significant. No, actually, God's sovereign purpose for our calling is for our being. Do you remember Romans 8, verse 28? To those who, wh- whom he loves, God makes all things work together for good. Why? To be conformed to the image of son. Through the predestination. Through sanctification, sanctification and glorification. The whole thing from beginning to end. Is God's sovereign work. And the purpose is. So that we could become. Like his son Christ. In our character. He's at work. He will not finish. Put his hand down in, from us until he finishes, as long as we really belong to him in Christ. So you know what that means? We could either surrender by faith and receiving that calling and restoring that calling, trusting God's sovereign work in us, or we just become cynical, become disillusioned about that. So th- once again, this is an important thing for me to be crystal clear: how are we respond to god 's grace, not by moralism, doing a lot of good work X, y and Z, including religious moralism, which becomes a regal, legalistic activity. To earn my salvation, to earn my self righteousness, nor by secularism, just being passive. No, no matter what I do, this is our generation. I'm sitting in the pool of brokenness. It's okay to be not to be okay. But God doesn't want you to be sitting in the pool of pain and brokenness. He wants you to get up and clean yourself become blameless and righteous before the throne of God's seed, Christ's seed. That's not passivity, that cheap grace becomes our way of dealing with it. No, it is actually by faith, active surrender. We do active things to surrender. You, you guys know Eugene Peterson is one of my book mentors. And in his book, Leap Over a Wall, I will highly recommend this. And he, his spiritual insight is impactful. I, was, I thought he was in my home library looking for hours, wasting my time. And he was actually sitting in my church office. And when I picked it up, ah, I cannot not share this. So helpful. So I conclude with this. The primary concern of the spiritual life, Peterson writes, isn't what we do for God, but what God does for us. I know scores of men and women who are living under the patronage of Achish of Gath Many of them feel terrible about it. Many of them feel guilty about guilty, but quite honestly, don't know what else they can do. They have jobs with companies that do business in defiant contempt of the kingdom of God. They're married to spouses who hate the name of Jesus. They seem to be inextricably. Tangled in an economic system that exploits the poor and ignores the oppressed. They're doing best to honor parents who dishonor God in thought, word, and deed. There's hardly hardly a Christian I know who hasn't put in time, sometimes far more than David's, 16 months under Achish of Gath. God's purposes are being worked out most profoundly when we are least aware of it, aware of them. Spirituality, most of the time, doesn't look like spiritual, spirituality. Or at least what the moralists and secularists told us it was supposed to look like. The comfort for us today is not the today's story, Is not an issue, it's what we need to do, X, Y, and Z. It is not moral lessons, but it's a spiritual lesson of awakening of our soul to believe and to trust, to surrender to what God is already doing in our lives in spite of our messiness. To see the vision of what God desires for us as a calling. His calling. My beloved children. Christ wants us to present us as blameless, beautiful wife. At the Mary Supper. When the time comes. The Christ marries with the church that I'm in. That's the goal. That's the calling. And then I'm so thankful that my frustration, at least for now, has gone away. I'll continually pray for you. Pray for our church. Pray for our revival. Pray for spiritual vitality. Pray for the times that we, our Our eyes are filled with tears of joy whenever we encounter scripture, early days of our crossway. God waits for us. Let's open our eyes that he is at work, even in the midst of our messiness today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that in spite of our failures and the perpetual compromises, that you are faithful and you have not given up on us, that you will finish your good work within each one of us. I pray for our church that our eyes will be open to your shocking grace for us. Change our perspective, our mind, our hearts, so that we may begin our our belief, our faith, in receiving your grace and your life I pray for those who have almost lost the hope of spiritual vitality in this season of their lives and spirit of God I would ask that you will stir their hearts and not only comfort but urge them to hope in Jesus Christ again to your mighty word, even today in our service. It is you who we look to you in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.